Listener Production. Hello, welcome to The Briefing. It's Wednesday, the 14th of July, and on today's briefing, we're going to give you the real story behind the Sydney outbreak. We're going to trace the key turning points where this outbreak got out of control. Everything we're seeing happened about a week ago. So in that period of the lockdown where people were like, she'll be right, and they were still mixing, we're seeing the results of that now. That's data journalist Juliet O'Brien, and she's going to explain step-by-step how we got into this situation, where the virus really surprised authorities and what parallels this outbreak has uh, with Melbourne's massive second wave from last year. So that's our briefing topic in just a moment. First, we've got news headlines with Katrina Blowers, fresh off a health retreat. How are you doing, Uh Katrina? You know, I should be brighter and more sparky because (laughs) I gave up coffee for a week, right? Uh As well as sugar and dairy and wheat and all these other things. But I've got to admit, straight out of the gate, Tom... Into a cafe, double shot. (laughs) (laughs) Well, when you're getting up to do the briefing, that makes complete sense. Let's get into the big stories of the day. Well, the New South Wales and federal governments have unveiled a new financial support template for COVID hit Sydney. But unfortunately, that's expected to pave the way for the city's lockdown to be extended. These payments will make sure that whether you're someone who runs a business or someone who's an employee, uh, you'll be able to respect the rules we put in place and also have peace of mind. That's Gladys Berejiklian, the New South Wales Premier there. She made that announcement alongside the Prime Minister yesterday. So the $5 billion agreement between the New South Wales and the Commonwealth will see struggling businesses get weekly cash injections of up to $10,000, and that's alongside the boosted $600 payments for individuals. And this is expected to be a template uh, for how other states could respond if they end up in snap lockdowns like Sydney is in now. It seems like Katrina Victoria doesn't like this arrangement. No, no, they've kicked off about it. They're saying that New South Wales has received more support from the Commonwealth during its lockdown than they did because uh, they had to fund the business payments. And that's because the federal government didn't want states just calling lockdowns willy-nilly and then sending the feds the bill for that. The federal treasurer, Josh Frydenberg, has hit back at Victoria's claims, saying uh, Victorians are the ones who received the preferential treatment. We have provided more support on a per capita basis to Victoria through JobKeeper than any other state. Yeah, I don't quite understand the argument from the Victorian leader on this one. Uh, It was just a week into a much shorter lockdown that they were calling for this federal support and they got the federal support. Um, This lockdown uh, in New South Wales has already gone much longer and is set to go much longer. So it required a different response and this response is something that can be applied to other states as well. Also, we should point out there are some strict new testing rules for around 200,000 people who live in the Fairfield LGA, which is in southwest Sydney, they're going to need to get tested every three days if they leave that Fairfield area for work. They don't have to quarantine until they get a result. They just have to get the test. Yeah, and in our briefing topic, we'll learn more about what's been happening in that part of Sydney. And speaking of that part of Sydney, uh, there's new AstraZeneca advice for under 60s in parts of Sydney. New advice, even Mm. more advice now. Australia's expert panel on immunisation, ATAGI, has issued this new statement that says under 60s in hotspots, so parts of Sydney, should consider getting the jab if they can't get Pfizer. And they say that that risk-benefit equation has changed for anyone in a hotspot who is now at a much higher risk of getting COVID. Yeah, of course, their previous advice was that people under 60 shouldn't get Pfizer due to the blood clot concerns. 
But yeah, now that advice is changing in certain places where that risk-benefit equation is changing. The mm. Prime Minister also confirmed that the panel is now telling people to get the second AstraZeneca jab sooner than previously advised. If you've had your first AstraZeneca dose, go and get another one sooner. Mm. And they've said between four and 12 weeks. Um, I was even more, the CMO and I were more cautious at around eight weeks. But it's important for people to get those two doses. Yeah, so that's the PM, Scott Morrison, saying that um, if you are in an outbreak area, get your AstraZeneca jabs closer together. But we should point out that health advice remains that if you're in a non-outbreak area, you should still wait that 12 weeks. And a Chinese Navy spy ship is heading into waters off the coast of Queensland in time to monitor a US-Australia military exercise that kicks off this week. Oh, this is a bit exciting, isn't it? The Australian Defence Force is monitoring this ship, which is expected to stay outside of Australian territorial waters near the Coral Sea. And this isn't the first time the Chinese have done this, Tom. They mm. uh, they also sent a surveillance ship to monitor the last Talisman Sabre operation 2019 27 we should point out, you know, is it really a spy ship if we know it's there? And <laughs> is it really a top secret military operation when they're putting it on Twitter? <laughs> yeah. And I guess if you're going to play a war game, it makes it even more exciting and more realistic if you've got, you know, um, someone who might be the enemy sort of just lurking yeah. around. Rioting and looting in South Africa has claimed 45 lives as violence erupts over the jailing of the country's former leader. Yeah, I was looking at some of the footage coming through today. Shops ransacked, buildings set alight. The military has now been deployed to try and stop that violence, which first broke out last week. Yeah, so the riots began when supporters of the former president, uh, Jacob Zuma, took to the streets to protest uh, his sentence of 15 months jail for contempt of court. Now, he was charged with contempt of court for not turning up to a corruption inquiry. Yeah, some pretty shocking footage of a mum throwing her baby down to a crowd of bystanders as she tried to escape a burning building in the city of Durban. Mm, yeah, it's horrible to, to watch this in, in South Africa. They're also dealing with a massive COVID wave at the moment. Mm. Um, I don't know how related this is, but last year I read Nelson Mandela's biography and, mm. you know, thought about what, what he went through and... And the way, you know, black South Africans were oppressed and he Mm. ended up winning the election after getting out of jail. And, you know, Jacob Zuma was the next leader and and now his legacy is is not looking very good Mm. at all and creating all this violence. And I just thought when I heard this story, I was like, I wonder what Nelson Mandela would make of this. And what about this, the International Olympic Committee chief, who's not really the most popular person in Japan <laughs> anyway, has accidentally referred to Japanese people as Chinese in what was meant to be a message of support for Japan ahead of the Olympics. And our common target is safe and secure games for everybody. Most importantly, also for the Chinese people, Japanese people. Oh, <laughs> IOC President Thomas Bach there, um, not to defend him, but maybe he thought he was already at the, the China Winter Games <laughs> next year. You know, he's just ahead of the curve. Yeah, that's right. Just ahead of his time. All right, Katrina, we'll catch you later. Um, Annika's about to jump in as we go step by step through the Sydney outbreak. A very interesting interview. And if you've um, not taken part of the briefing quiz on Instagram, it's a whole lot of fun. We post it on Friday afternoons. Um, It's getting a big reaction from our briefing Instagram followers. Um, Follow us if you don't already. The questions come from our headlines each day. So just listen that little bit more closely and you might win a few questions on the quiz. 
The nation is watching Sydney right now as it struggles to get this outbreak under control. Now, for people here in Melbourne, it's looking eerily similar to that second wave that sent the city into 112 days of lockdown last winter. Yeah, and I'm bringing you this story from Sydney, and I can imagine for people in those other states that went through really harsh snap lockdowns, um, especially in Victoria, they might be wondering whether Sydney's lockdown light was part of the problem. So in this briefing, the story of the Sydney outbreak, how did this outbreak blow away the expectations of the state health officials who'd previously been labelled as gold standard when it came to managing COVID? Yeah, so we're going to step through the key turning points of the outbreak, find out how it compares to Melbourne's second wave and the role that the Delta variant is playing. And we're doing that with Juliet O'Brien. She's a Sydney-based data journalist. She's been doing amazing work analysing the key data from the pandemic. Her site, if you want to check it out, is covid19data.com.au and it's purely funded by public donations. Juliet, thanks for joining us. Let's step through the chronology of the Sydney outbreak. What were the key turning points where this outbreak became far worse than expected, starting with the eastern suburbs limo driver and the cases that came directly from him? The limo driver case was notified on the 17th of June. That was the first incursion event. And what we know is that the limo driver was transporting staff who were flying internationally and was not wearing a mask and was unvaccinated. So that was the first key moment. The following day, Westfield Bondi was notified as an exposure location. That really escalated as an exposure location over the following days when New South Wales Health was saying, if you were at Westfield Bondi at all, even in the car park, we want you to come forward for testing. 50% of the people in the LGA of Waverley ended up getting tested over a course of two weeks. So massive testing in the east, but that seeded multiple cases throughout the eastern suburbs. At this point, we were getting into kind of maybe triple digits in cases as a total. New South Wales Health still seemed to feel that they were ahead of the curve. There was no snap lockdown or anything. About a week after the limo driver case was notified, on the 25th of June, they issued stay-at-home orders for four LGAs in the eastern suburbs. So we could see that there was spread extending beyond the known sources that they were aware of. But then that stay-at-home order lasted a matter of 12 hours Mm. because the next day it was extended to all of Greater Sydney. That was really a key turning point where they detected a previously undetected chain of transmission that was outside of the eastern suburbs. What happened then was a series of new cases unfurled from this source, Great Ocean Foods in Marrickville. That day, they expanded the stay-at-home orders to a Greater Sydney lockdown. But what that has been called is essentially lockdown light. You know, we didn't have any limit to the number of kilometres we could travel from home. There were certain relaxed aspects to it. That stayed for two weeks and cases did not decrease. But 
essentially were at the next turning point and that became evident over the weekend. And that turning point is we're seeing explosive spread in households in the southwest of Sydney. So these are larger households and there's evidently been mixing across households during this period of lockdown light. And so that's why we're seeing these huge case numbers balloon now. There's obviously some parallels with what happened in Melbourne's second wave. Can you talk us through some of the similarities? Because we have a lot of people saying that perhaps if they had a lockdown earlier, you know, there was a two-week wait with the revelation about the driver before there was a stay-at-home order. The lockdown conditions haven't been as strict. Do you Mm. think they've been fit for purpose given, you know, this is a different virus? We saw a very small handful of cases of Delta in Victoria, which didn't result in an outbreak. However, they were already in a severe lockdown. So that was very lucky that they were already in lockdown when that Delta incursion presented itself. In terms of comparisons to the Victorian second wave, I think what people kind of can't comprehend is back then we knew so little about COVID, there was still a little bit of an idea of trying to live with the virus. Like I think our zero COVID approach really came home after the Victorian wave when we saw that that wasn't possible. But the originating case of that happened in late May. That's when they detected a case of COVID from the Riches Hotel on Swanston, right? The rates of testing across Victoria at that time were low. We're talking like 140 people per 100,000. And on top of that, who was being tested? We weren't getting publicly available data about where those tests were happening. So something was happening last year throughout June underneath the surface. So the curves that we see about cases from the Victorian wave only show what we know about, the cases we knew about. Those are not the cases that actually existed. Then what happened was they brought in a postcode lockdown more than one month after that index case at Ridges on Swanston. So we had two things happening. There was limited testing. They didn't know what was happening uh, underneath the surface. And then people were still moving widely through Melbourne. So then they brought in stage three restrictions in Metro. And it was a full two months after the ridges on Swanston, the first case, two months later that they went into stage four lockdown. We're in a very different scenario in terms of lockdown here. New South Wales Health and the New South Wales government, they brought in the first lockdown, which has been criticised as not being severe enough. They brought that in nine days after the limo driver was found and about 24 days after the limo driver case is when they've tightened restrictions, which was just this past weekend. So, There is a criticism now that restrictions still are not tight enough. And that is really because even though we're miles ahead of the Victorian second wave in terms of that timeline, we are seeing this hockey stick spike in Mm. the graph that is not coming down. So the question is, 
are the current measures enough to flatten that? And we're on a bit of a lag. We, in reality, are living somewhere to the right-hand side of those curves. Everything we're seeing happened about a week ago. So in that period of the lockdown where people were like, she'll be right, and they were still mixing, we're seeing the results of that now. The question for us is probably not getting to COVID zero. It's that we're actually still on this very steep and escalating curve of the graph, and we need that to flatten, and it's going to bend around in a very wide arc. So even as cases reduce, we're not going to get to zero cases for a long time, like for a matter of months. We need that curve to bend around. Yeah, that's a pretty grim prediction. Um, and it's really interesting the way you compared the two curves, the, the Melbourne second wave and what we're experiencing now. And as you just mentioned, the Victorians were much slower in bringing in their restrictions, but the steepness of the curve seems to be very similar despite that. Yeah, but... Our testing levels are big, right? Mm. So at the moment, we can be fairly confident that we know about what's happening. So our testing levels are about 570 people per 100,000 compared to Victoria's, which were around, you know, high 100s and then 200s. And yeah, now the Victorians are testing champions, you know. I mean, even on the average day, like when there are zero cases, 20,000 Victorians will turn out and get tested, which is phenomenal. But back then, they certainly didn't know what was going on. So for us, our curve probably represents something closer to reality on the ground. But there is always a chance that you don't know what you don't know, right? These are the unknown unknowns. And the question is, will it spill over? Will New South Wales Health end up fighting this on multiple fronts? A spot fire is going to open up across the city. Are workers going to take it from those households and seed other parts of Sydney? There are more than 60 cases that are unlinked right now. So you need to hold that in your head while you're talking about where there has and hasn't been transmission. But even if we closed non-essential retail, we've already got a lot of people who probably would continue to work who have been infected. So I think the government has to balance what are the benefits and the risks of all of these different measures and decisions they make. So that was Juliet O'Brien. She's a data journalist running an independent site. If you want to fund her work, check it out, covid19data.com.au. She's doing this purely on public donations, which is amazing. So it's completely independent. And as you could hear, Annika, she did a great job of explaining what's happening. Yeah, it's really interesting, especially when you get to compare it to Melbourne. A lot of Victorians think that perhaps... Sydney didn't go hard enough, quick enough, but it looks like they actually went harder, quicker Mm. than Victoria did ahead of that second wave. I guess the little notes of optimism that she hit there were that, yes, we brought in restrictions earlier than they did in Melbourne last winter, and also that testing has been better, but I guess we're trading that off against the reality of the Delta variant, so the optimism really has to be measured, doesn't it? 
Yeah, this is the unknown factor. I've heard other epidemiologists, ones that have been, I guess, less positive throughout this whole pandemic, suggest that no, you know, Sydney is in a bit of bother and that perhaps it could face sort of lockdowns or heavy restrictions until at least Christmas. It's all because of Delta. We don't really know how this spreads compared to previous virus variants. The good thing is, though, Tom, people are getting vaccinated. You know, you've got to think a third of Australia have had at least one vaccine, which does provide some protection. Fully vaccinated, well, that number is still pretty low. But during this, we're going to see those numbers go up, which can only help. It all boils down to one thing, Delta V vaccine. That's what's going on around the whole world right now, really. All right, tomorrow on The Briefing, death, sex and money and other difficult conversations that we need to have. Listener.